We are in a series called Summer in the Psalms, so let's turn together to Psalm 27. And uh, as you may have picked up from the worship time, as I was praying about the message this week, I couldn't shake this sense that God had more to say to us about this area of confidence. Confidence. This is tea. It's not coffee. And by the way, this is a, this is a cup. This is dad. The man, the myth, the legend. So <laughs> wanted to show that to you guys. Uh, last week, we looked at going from complaint or lament to confidence in God. And this morning, I want us to consider how we can battle fear by growing our confidence in God. In Psalm 27, written by David, is a good psalm for that. Let's, we're not going to get through the entire psalm. But uh, let's begin by reading the first three verses and then asking God for his blessing on his word. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. David opens Psalm 27 talking about fear. Talking about fear. It is something the Psalms address quite a bit. In fact, the most common command by God in all the scripture is some form of do not be afraid. God commands us over 300 times in the scriptures, be not afraid, do not be afraid, because fear is an issue we deal with. All of us deal with fear in one way or another. Your fear may look different than my fear, but we all have fears. And fear in itself is not necessarily a bad thing. It's meant to be a God-given response to danger. A built-in alarm system that rings out when we are in some kind of impending danger, moving us to take action to hopefully avoid that danger. You know how in schools they have that, that red box with the glass and it says, in case of emergency, break glass. Fear is meant to be when there's an emergency, break the glass and pull the lever and sound the alarm. Get out of here. Get out of trouble. If you're walking in the woods and a grizzly bear starts charging at you, that alarm system is probably helpful. It's probably a good thing. Not that you necessarily have anything you can do anyway, but that fear is appropriate in that case. Here's the problem with fear. Sin did something to our hearts to, to give fear too much ground. So fear comes in and it's... It's constantly sounding alarms, even when there's no real danger. It's like that kid who's breaking the glass and pulling the lever and sending the alarm so everybody runs out of the school and there's no fire. Fear does that. It's like breaking the glass constantly just for the fun of it. It wants to take our lives down this alarm road at all the wrong times. So I want us to consider a few fears and 
And maybe you'll find yourself nestled in one of these. The first thing I think of is phobias. Phobia literally means horror or fear. And a phobia is defined as an irrational fear of something that possesses no real danger. And there are hundreds of phobias, hundreds of them. And people suffer from them, from fear of tight spaces, claustrophobia, to fear of beards, which is called pogonophobia. There is galeophobia, which is the fear of sharks, which doesn't seem all that irrational to me. <laughs> to bananaphobia, which does seem irrational to me. And it is just that, the fear of bananas. You name it, somebody's afraid of it. And uh, if you don't suffer from a particular phobia, it may seem hard to understand. I mean, it really is hard to understand why someone's afraid of bananas or string. Or, but when you suffer from a phobia, however irrational it is, it's very real to you. And the alarms that go off are very real in your mind and in your heart. Insecurity is another form of fear. Insecurity is a fear of what people think about us. What if I say something dumb? What if people don't like me? Insecurity is a constant alarm that says I'm not measuring up. I'm not measuring up. And at any moment I may do something or say something that isn't acceptable to other people. Worry is a fear of the future. What might happen? We, we worry is some form of concern. I mean, you don't worry about what happened six years ago unless you're worried about how it's affecting now in the future. And dread is worry on steroids. It's this dark foreboding fear that something terrible is going to happen. And then there's panic attacks. People have panic attacks. Maybe you've had a panic attack when all of a sudden your, your blood pressure rises, your breathing is shallow, your, your heart's racing, and, and yet there may not be any particular fear attached to it. You don't have anything in particular in mind. It just hits out of the blue. The alarm is, the glass is broken. The alarm was pulled. You run outside. There's, you don't see anything going on. You have no idea why you're suffering this panic attack. But it's very real. Panic attacks, well, if we let it, fear, fear can grip so much of our lives. It can grip so much of our lives to the point where we can become fearful people, where the glass is constantly being broken. We constantly have alarms going off. It will try to be the biggest voice in our lives. It will constantly be warning us from danger from here, danger from that, avoid this, run from that, worry, panic, alarm. There's one more thing about fear. And if you battle a lot with fear, you're probably very well aware of this. Fear gums things up. It, it's, it gums up life. In the name of making life better, fear makes life worse. Fear says, listen to me or your life's going to go bad. And then you listen to it and your life gets worse. Fear is not meant, was not meant by God to be how we live and respond to life. God did not build us 
to constantly live with alarm bells going off and fear going off. In fact, first, uh, second Timothy one seven says, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of love of power and a sound mind. So we come to Psalm 27. We say, how does Psalm 27 help us in our battle against fear? Because here's the funny thing. When we read Psalm 27, David is so confident and seems so fearless in these opening verses. I mean, he says, there's no fear here. I have no reason to be afraid of anybody. Even if the wicked come against me, advance against me, you know who's going to stumble and fall? They're going to stumble and fall. Even if an army assembles against me, my heart will feel no fear. Now, I want to tell you, I have never had wicked people coming out to try to kill me. David really did, by the way. This is not metaphorical. David really had very powerful people who wanted to see him destroyed. I've never had that, but I guarantee you, if I got a message from some powerful, wicked people that they were coming after me, my heart would feel a little fear. I'd be calling Ken up. Get over here, Ken. I don't relate to David saying, I have no fear. Bring it on. And maybe you don't as well. Fearlessness is a hard thing for us to relate to, but I don't think absence of fear. I don't think fearlessness is the whole story here. And I don't think this psalm is telling us that David had no struggle with fear. I want you to listen to David's confession in Psalm 56. It echoes Psalm 27, but it adds a layer. Psalm 56, beginning in verse 3, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, and I'm not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? There's that echo. Whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? There's the echo from Psalm 27. But in Psalm 56, something happens between verse 3 and verse 4. Something happens between when I am afraid, verse 3, and I am not afraid, verse 4. And what happens is David battles that fear with confidence in God. In God I trust and am not afraid. And I believe that's what we're seeing in Psalm 27 as well. David writes so much about fear in the opening verses of Psalm 27, not because fear is something he's never deals with, but because fear is something he has dealt with, but also learned to conquer. He has learned to conquer that fear with confidence in God. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I fear? I be afraid. The point here is not fearlessness. It's confidence. That's his point. It's confidence in God. If God is protecting me, if God is watching over me, if God is all these things to me, what can puny man do to me? What can life throw at me that's bigger than God? As Romans 8 puts it, if God before me, who can be against us? The Lord is our light. 
we don't need to fear the darkness of evil, and we don't need to fear the unknown. Because the Lord is our light. The future is dark to us. We don't know what today holds. We don't know what tomorrow holds. We may think we do, but we don't know. The future is dark to us in the sense of not knowing what's coming. But it's light to us in the sense that we know the Lord is with us and he will light it up as we go. The Lord is the light of the unknown darkness of your future. He will light up your path. He will guide you. The Lord is our salvation. Salvation means rescue from danger. It means delivered from danger. And we know, praise the Lord, that Jesus delivered us from the greatest danger. And that is the danger of God's judgment against us. The danger of facing a holy God in our sinful state and receiving the punishment for that. that That is our greatest danger. Jesus on the cross, he removed that danger for all those who trust in him by taking our sin upon himself. So he removed that danger and then he gave us. Your future is so bright in Christ because you have eternal life promised to you. Eternal life promised in the kingdom of light, Christ's kingdom. Hallelujah for that. That is, that is the greatest, greatest meaning of salvation. But the meaning of salvation in the scriptures is not limited to when I die, I'm going to go to heaven. As wonderful as that is, the Lord also rescues us from the many dangers that life can hold. The Lord rescues us from the troubles and trials. He rescues us from the brokenness of sin that sin inflicts upon us inside and outside of us. If you read through the gospels, often when Jesus healed a sick person or delivered a demon possessed person, he would often say to them, go in peace. Your faith, your confidence in God has saved you, delivered you. Jesus rescues us from all the things that we might fear. That does not mean that life doesn't pull some punches on us. It doesn't mean that everything goes easy. But it means the Lord delivers us from even the hardest of trials. And He will save us. In the end, we are saved. Delivered safely. And then it says, the Lord is a stronghold of my life. And I love that picture because it, it's, it's like this massive refuge, this massive shelter that our lives are safely tucked away in. Our life from beginning to end, for those who trust in Christ, are safely sheltered. We are safe. We live in a dangerous world, but we are safe because we are sheltered in Christ. Our story, your life story, is safe. It's not going to come to, oh, did you hear about the tragic, horrible, terrible thing that happened to someone? Not that terrible, tragic things can't happen to us, but our life story is one of victory. 
one of joy, one of deliverance, one of salvation. Even our greatest sorrows will be turned to joy. Even our tears will be wiped away by God. Our life story is safe because our life story is in Christ. Verse four, David says this, one thing I ask of the Lord, and this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. One thing, David says, one thing, one thing that I ask, one thing I seek. My life, David says, comes down to one thing. One thing, my treasure in life comes down to one thing. My priorities in life come down to one thing. My confidence comes down to one thing, to be in the presence of God and gaze on his beauty all the days of my life. It reminds me of what Jesus said to Martha. Martha is hosting this discipleship community group in her house, and she's running around and making sure the food's ready and the house is clean and everything. And she's, she's all worried and concerned and everything. And if you've hosted people at your house, you know that feeling. Women, guys don't usually worry that much. It's clean enough. But the wives are worried. The women are worried. You know, uh, she's that. She's worried. She's concerned. She's trying to get everything. And she looks over and she sees Mary, her sister, sitting at the feet of Jesus, just listening. And she said, Jesus, don't you care? Don't you care that my sister's not helping out here? And Jesus says to her, Martha, you are troubled and anxious about many things. But only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen that. And I'm not going to take it away from her. One thing. David says, one thing. I want to gaze on one thing. The beauty of the Lord. Now, Let's be practical. Someone might say, maybe David had time to sit in the temple and meditate on God and just gaze on God all day long. I don't have that luxury. I have schedules to juggle. I have demands I need to meet. I have all the things of life to do. I can't just sit in church and gaze on the beauty of the Lord all day long. Whatever gazing at the Lord and His beauty means. And, and while there may be some who say, that sounds beautiful, I would love to just go off to some monastery somewhere and just gaze and think about the Lord all day long. Can I be honest? That doesn't sound all that appealing to me. I, I, that's, I, you know, that doesn't sound that appealing to me. I don't think that would have sounded that appealing to David. David was not a let me sit around and just kind of gaze into the distance all day long kind of guy. David was a warrior. He was a fighter. When there was a war, he's like, give me my sword. Give me my shield. I want to bust some heads. David was a leader of leaders. The, the mightiest of leaders wanted him to lead them. David was a king. He conquered lands. He built cities. David was a man of action. So 
And yet in all of this, his gaze could be upon one thing, the Lord and his beauty. When teenager David had the guts to do what no one else in Israel could do. He had the guts to walk on the field and fight Goliath. What was it that replaced any fear he would naturally have for confidence? Well, we read about it. When he comes against Goliath, the one thing he says is, Goliath, you come to me with swords and spears and javelins. I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty. That's the one thing I come. Confidence in God. God is going to take you out through me. Confidence in God. Years later, when David is running from King Saul, who's trying to kill him, he's living life on the run. He's a fugitive. He's got a powerful man with armies trying to kill him. The opportunity comes up. He's hiding in a cave. Saul comes into the cave to relieve himself. And David's like, whoa, David and his men are like, there's Saul by himself. And his men say, you could take him out. The Lord has delivered him into your hands. And if David was, if his gaze was fixed on, I am being chased and hounded. My life is in constant danger. How do I fix this problem? He would have picked up his spear and run Saul through. But David's fix, his gaze wasn't fixed on how do I fix this thing? His gaze was fixed on the Lord. And he said, that's not the heart of God. That is not the heart of God. I'm not going to raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. I will trust God to do what he's going to do in his time. One thing. What does God want from me in this situation? Let me fix my gaze on God and what he's doing, not the problem. And how do I fix it? One thing to know the Lord and gaze upon his beauty. When we make Jesus the one thing, the treasure of our life, what we want more than anything else, the priority of our life, Not the first thing we cast aside, but the last thing that goes in our schedule. The confidence in our lives. Our confidence isn't, I can do this, or my friends can do this, or other people will do this, or money will do this. Our confidence is God will do this. Here's what happens. All the other things in your life don't just go away. What God does when we make him number one is he puts everything else in its proper order. Everything else comes into orbit. God is the massive sun at the center of our lives. And he has the mass to hold all the other things in our lives, all the challenges, all the fears, all the loves, all the joys, all the demands, everything in proper gravitational order. Because he's the one thing at the center of it all. When we love Jesus first, we love our spouse better. We love our children better. We love our friends better. We love the people in our lives. We love strangers better when he is the first. And we battle fear with confidence in God. And the confidence in God grows as we see him as great 
glorious, awesome, loving in our lives. Sometimes David had to battle his way from fear to confidence. When I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you, God. And then I am not afraid, he says. I want to just encourage us. Martha is like a lot of us. Sometimes fear, a lot of times fear in our life scatters our thoughts. It scatters our minds. We become anxious and troubled. If you have anxieties, your mind might be scattered. Um, If that is a pattern in your life, and I know for some it is, anxiety and worry is a pattern in your life, then you probably can relate to this, that fear becomes a moving target. It is scattered. You're, there's always something you're worried about, but it's not always the same thing. You get, you, you're worried about this, and then when that is resolved, fear just moves. There's another glass to break. Sound the alarm, and now you're worried about something else. And it can go from this to that. Moving target But other times, focus, uh, fear focuses on one thing, but it's the wrong thing. I think that, for the most part, the core of insecurity is that. It's, it's a fear that focuses us on one thing. We might have a lot of insecurities. You might say, what do you mean one thing? I've got 50 insecurities. Or I'm insecure in this situation, that situation, around that person, around this person. I've got all these. But I think in its core, insecurity is focused on one thing. It's focused on us. It's focused on me. I remember years ago, and the only reason I remember this is I'll share the consequences of this. But years ago, um, many, many years ago, I was singing in a wedding. And uh, just like yesterday, we had a gentleman sing in the wedding. But unlike this gentleman who did an outstanding job, I'm sitting there waiting for my time to sing a song I wrote for this couple. And I'm getting more and more nervous. I'm, I'm not putting all this weight on my shoulder. If I get this wrong, I've destroyed their marriage. And so I'm sitting there and, and, and I'm getting more and more focused on messing up. I don't want to mess up. I don't want to mess up. I don't want to mess up. And so when it's my turn to start singing, playing and singing, my voice croaks out. It just, uh. somebody even came up to me and, and, and did that <laughs> at the end. It's like, well, that is a confidence booster. Thank you. I choked out the first few words. Then, then it, it was okay. I, I got over that and finished out the song, and it was fine. But here's what happened. I became focused on first words. I became focused on the first sound of my voice. Whenever I was singing, I began to be so focused on, are the first words going to come out <laughs> cracking and, and wobbly? And, and then it leaked out of just singing into talking to people. I'd go to meet somebody, and I'd be so focused on my voice not cracking and wobbling as I met them that it would crackle and wobble. Or if I was in a meeting and I wanted to share something, the first words were the words where I was just so focused on not getting it wrong, not that it would happen. It took me years to overcome that insecurity. But what am I focused on? Not focused on the song, the wedding, the words. I'm not focused on that new person I'm meeting or that meeting. I'm focused on myself. That's what insecurity does. It focuses us on 
ourselves. The situations change, but the focus is one thing, the wrong thing. In this case, it was me. One thing, David says, one thing, Jesus, our great God, when we live with our gaze fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ, fear begins to melt away. When we see God's ferocious love for us, we do not fear being abandoned somewhere in life. Perfect love casts out fear. If we know the God who controls everything loves us with a ferocious love, we suddenly don't like, what, what can man do to me? What can you do? Come on against me. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. God's going to protect me. That's what David is saying. Confidence in God, his power, his love, his faithfulness, his promises, his beauty. That's what God created us for. That's what God created you for, for confidence in him. Dr. E. Stanley Jones writes this. Listen to this. I am inwardly fashioned for faith, not for fear. Fear is not my native land. Faith is. I am so made that worry and anxiety are sand in the machinery of life. Faith is the oil. I live better by faith and confidence than by fear, doubt, and anxiety. In anxiety and worry, my being is gasping for breath. These are not my native air. But in faith and confidence, I breathe freely. These are my native air. If fear is a big part of your life, you may get used to sand clogging up your life. You may get used to things grinding hard, but that's not what God created you for. It's not what God created us for. It's not how God means for us to live. We live better when we live by faith and confidence in our awesome God. It's why God in his gospel has not just said, I'll tolerate you, come into my throne of grace, timidly. That would have been enough. But he said, no, you come boldly. It's not like he doesn't hear us if we come timidly. But he wants us to come boldly, confidently. As we close, David cleans out the sand clogging in his life in verse 13. I'm jumping down to verse 13. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. David replaces fear of bad happening with confidence in God writing the story of his life from beginning to end and it being the goodness of God, the goodness of the Lord that he will see and not just after he dies, but in the land of the living. And a part of that, you know what? We are part of a meta-narrative. Your narrative, your story is part of a meta-narrative of the gospel of Christ. And you are nestled into that meta-narrative of the goodness of God upon those who needed him so much and trust in him. And then in verse 14, David talks to you and me. He comes to us this morning and he says to you, and he says to me in verse 14, wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. He sandwiches, be strong, take heart, confidence with one thing. Wait for the Lord. Make the Lord your confidence. Whatever's going on in your story, in your life story right now, 
whatever has happened, whatever you may happen, which we don't know, put your confidence in God. Put your confidence in the Lord. He's writing the story. You trust him. Make him the one thing. Look for what God's doing. Wait for the Lord. Gaze upon the Lord. And be strong and take heart. Take courage. Take confidence. We don't battle fear by focusing on fear. We battle fear by focusing on the Lord and placing our confidence in Him. God is so awesome. And the more we can know that, the more confident we can live and the less fearful we can live. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. If the analogy of the, in case of emergency, break glass is, is hitting you, that you just see that there seems to be alarms constantly going. You wake up with alarms. You go to bed with alarms. You deal with alarms of fear through the day. I know a little bit about what you're suffering from. And I know that it can be something you just want so much not to deal with, but don't know how to battle it. As we close in prayer, I want to pray for you, if that's you. Maybe you're here in the room, maybe you're watching online. God did not build you to live in fear all the time. He built you for confidence, for faith in Him. Not self-confidence, God-confidence. And he wants to help you get there. And it probably will be like it was with me, a bit of a process. But that's okay. Just trust him. He's writing your story and he has good in mind. So I want to pray for you. Just come before the Lord. Lift those fears to the Lord and say, Lord, help me to get my eyes off of these and onto you. Help me to spend more time gazing at you in the course of each day trusting in you, confident in you, speaking confidence, praying confidence, reading your word confidently. Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit will help each of us to overcome fear and live in a place of faith and confidence. Lord, I pray that you grow our confidence in you because you are so worthy of our confidence. You are so wonderful, and your promises are true. So Lord, we just ask you now, Holy Spirit, I pray you set free that person who is in bondage to fear, that person who is just in bondage, like life is so centered around fear that they feel the bondage of it. I pray, dear Lord, that you will deliver them, save them. You are, the Lord is my salvation. You will rescue them from that. And help them begin to walk in the, the fresh air of faith and confidence in you, Lord. Help them to clean out the sand of worry and replace it with confidence in you. Lord, we are your children. We throw open the doors confidently to the throne of grace and call upon you for grace and help in time of need. 
Let us leave here confident that you have heard us and you will hear us. And Lord, we are careful to give all the glory to our beautiful Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, have a wonderful week. Trust in the Lord. Walk in confidence. God bless you guys.